everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 18. Has Linux got game? Brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. This week we're going to, uh, I say we, it's actually Chris, is going to take a walk down uh, gaming lane uh, in Linux. Uh, and, and he's the only one among us who's really a gamer, so uh, we're just going to all kind of sit back and enjoy a, a nap while he directs the whole show. So uh, that's nice. So I guess we'll go ahead and introduce everybody but Chris first. Uh, say hello, Aaron, uh, a.k.a. the Gooey Kid. No, wait, Seth is the Gooey Kid. Yes. See, I can't even read right. <laughs> Hi. So you're like a you're like a a, a failed hard drive. <laughs> That's right. I can't read right. I need spin right on my brain. Put him oh, That was so my funny. Done here. That was a good one. That was Thank great. That comes to you straight from Aaron well. Butler, the former right. fat guy. So. Hi, Aaron Butler, former fat guy. <laughs> Welcome to the hey, show. Hey, gentlemen. Glad and, to be here. And Seth Anderson, the gooey kid, um, also known as the real Seth, also known as uh, Seth. Yeah, but after last show, I think I'm going to be the gooey kid. I'm even thinking of a blog called The Gooey Kid. You're committed to that one, huh? I it, Until awesome. something better comes along. And of course, as always, the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. Hey, everyone. How's things going tonight? It's a little stormy where I am, so if you hear some thunder in the in the recording, um, that's because the millions of prayers here in Texas have been answered. So we're uh-huh. looking forward to it. A little bit of rain. Um, just wanted to mention, doesn't have anything to do with anything, but uh, uh, I went last night. Uh, uh, my friend Sean of the Tightwad Tech... He and I have mentioned on the show before that uh, uh, he is a bit of a poker fanatic, actually world-ranked at one point, uh, uh, pretty good poker player, and, and he's gotten me into the game. And last night we uh, drove up uh, across the Oklahoma border where it's legal uh, to do such things and, and uh, spent a little money. Um, at one point I had uh, bought uh, $550 in front of me and um, gave it all back by the end of the night. So I didn't lose anything, but I didn't gain anything. That was my night at the poker table. So if you want to uh, go to Vegas and play somebody who's probably going to give all your money back, I'm the guy. Well, I, I'm not much of a gambler. My wife and I went on a cruise for our 10th anniversary, and it had a little casino on the, uh, like, this is my one foray into gambling of any type. It had a little casino on the cruise ship. So I went down, and I got $10 in quarters and $10 in nickels, and I gave her the quarters, and I got the nickels, and I walked to a nickel slot machine, and I put about seven of them in and won $75. I said, honey, let's go. That's good, yeah. <laughs> we walked away. And I should have walked away when I was up 500 um, but I had literally just, I mean, it'd been there like 15 minutes, and it's a two-and-a-half-hour drive to get there. So I drove two-and-a-half hours. I was at the table 15 minutes and then uh, won a pretty big pot. Um, and then I was like, you know, the smart thing to do here is to get up and walk away. But I came here to play, and I just started... I'll, I'll hang on to it a little longer. And then just as the night went on, just $5 at a time, I, I got rid of every bit of it. Yeah. yeah I've seen that a lot. Um, most people probably don't know this because I haven't said it yet, but uh, I used to be a card dealer up here in Montana. And that was a, a whole bunch of hoops to get done, but it was one of those it was one of those things that I get to say that I used to deal cards, and I've seen probably thousands of dollars change people's hands in less than less than an hour. Yeah, yeah. 
we were playing uh, one two no limit with uh, you know the bets on average are one or two dollars. That's what that's where you start with, and so a really big pot of ten people is generally you know seventy dollars or you know that's a big one. The average one is going to be uh, ten or fifteen. So it's it's small times, um, and I just happened to actually I won it on a bluff. I didn't even have the cards, but I bluffed four guys into thinking I did and took. One one of them busted him, took all of his money, and uh, took a whole bunch off of the others. And so I'm sitting here with this big stack of chips and thinking, I should leave now, and yet I don't. <laughs> you playing Hold'em or yeah, five? No, or Yeah. No women Hold'em. Up the river, down the river, kings are wild, jacks are threes? Uh, something like that, yeah. One-eyed jacks. <laughs> I, don't really, and, and I, don't know the, I don't really know the lingo, but I can, I can uh, not even fake it, actually. So, Aaron, what would you do this weekend? Oh, I wasn't too busy. Let's see. Um, I worked, went on a date Friday night with my wife, worked some Saturday, came home, spent some time around the house Saturday evening. I did something else. I don't remember what it was. Went and did a 5K this morning with a bum knee, which was not smart, and then went apple picking this evening. Apples grow like crazy in the Georgia climate, and so there's lots of orchards up in the North Georgia mountains, and you can go up and have a day of family fun. What kind of apples? pick your own apples. We actually picked today, what we picked was some Golden Delicious, oh, some Braeburns, uh, some Arkansas Black, and some other ones that I can't remember right now. So, yeah, there's, um, they, have, they have several varieties growing at this one. There's lots of different orchards, too, but this one has, it's meant to be like a family event. They have a little a little store where you can buy different um, vegetables and things that they've grown there and, and, and baked goods and what have you. And they've got a petting zoo and a hayride and all that kind of stuff. So I love that Aaron just slips a 5K into the list of all the stuff he did. Yeah, I just ran a 5K. If I ran a 5K, I would be shouting it to the mountaintops. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my, let me see. Look, I've got my numbers all posted on my desk in front of me. One, two, three, four, five. That was my sixth one. So I'm not a veteran by any means, but I've been trying to run a race a month since um, last November. And I've, I've pretty much done that. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Except, my, it's, except I've got a problem with my knee, and so I actually only ran about the first mile, and then it was run, walk a little bit, and then run a little bit. And at one point, I, if I would have been closer to the finish line, I would have just walked to the finish line and stopped. But I, the way the course was, it was a big loop around a mall, and so it was to get back to my car. I had to go to the finish line anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> I went ahead and just stuck it out. Oh, <laughs> uh, but it was painful. So I'm sitting here. I actually have a, a, a ace bandage with ice on my knee right now. So okay, I can I can feel that pain. Um, a week ago, I was warming up for a Taekwondo demo and dislocated my knee. Fun again? Yeah, again. Wow. But not not as bad this time. I'm not on crutches, but I still have a humongous brace on. So well, yeah, mine apparently, that- believe it or not, is actually due to my hip. Um. That's what they're telling me. My, you have a tendon. We talked a little bit about this earlier in the week, Mark, called the iliotibial band, and it runs from all the way from your hip, your, your pelvic girdle, all the way down the side of your thigh to your actually attaches to your lower leg, and um, and my I've, my hip is kind of uh, not as mobile as it should be on my right side because I've hyperextended that knee twice, tore the tore the calf muscle on that knee one time, uh, that leg one time, and uh, sprained that ankle. Uh, one time and so i've always kind of favored that leg you which just made, hate your left leg with a passion uh, uh, it's, it's my right one but right. yes exactly and so i've tended to favor it so that means i just i have limited mobility and what that has ended up doing now that i've really started using it for the first time in my life 
is I've actually got my patella, you know, my kneecap is not tracking like it should and, and I'm getting some inflammation and all that kind of stuff. So I've got a, a running specialist chiropractor massage guy that's gonna that worked on me after the race today actually and helped me quite a bit that I'm gonna probably go see uh, and try to get some permanent repair on it because I got the tough motor you know coming up October 22nd. Yeah. So this podcast is uh, two active guys and two couch potatoes. So <laughs> it's even it balance there. Yeah. I just wanted to mention, uh, since this is a Linux podcast, this is uh, maybe a call for help. Um, I got a uh, three terabyte uh, external drive. I believe it's Western Digital. I, I forget actually who it was. And I can't get Ubuntu to recognize that for anything. Now, I understand that there are issues with 32-bit kernels and anything over two terabytes. Um, but I can't even partition it into like a, a one point two one point fives and make it work. I can't get it to do anything. This is at work, and I bought this thing uh, to actually store our fog images on, um, and I can't I can't make it work. I, I had to plug it. I punted and plugged it into a Windows machine, which just went. Oh, you've got a three terabyte drive. Let's go. Go oh, Windows. Yeah. So uh, if anybody out there has any experience with these things and and can give me some advice on uh, how to make an Ubuntu, I think it's ten oh four. Uh, server work with a three terabyte external USB drive. Uh, contact me at marketelementop.com. Hey, Mark, I'm just uh, curious. In Windows, did you try to like format it two in one and then see if Ubuntu would recognize it? Yes, I did. Uh, Ubuntu doesn't even recognize it's there. Uh, hmm. uh, it shows up in the F disk. It shows it's there, but Nautilus doesn't see it, and I can't. Uh, I can't direct get to it through the uh, command line. Uh, F disk is the only thing that sees it's there. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So I, I tried wiping never... it out. I, I tried doing gparted, but when I when I switch over to gparted, uh, you know, to that partition, it crashes. Uh, I tried. Have you tried in... returning it and buying two two terabyte drives? <laughs> no, I haven't tried that. Uh, I tried. Uh, I tried Puppy Linux, my my favorite utility uh, uh, version, and I, I couldn't. Uh, uh, Puppy would see it, but couldn't run Gparted on it. Uh, I tried putting it in uh, Windows and doing two MS-DOS partitions that I would then go reformat as EXT3 or 4. That didn't work. Um, it just, it's no go. I'm, I'm guessing it has to do with the fact that it's USB. If I plugged it in to a SATA connection, it would probably work, but there's there's probably something in the USB driver in Linux that, that doesn't want to want to work. That'd be my guess, too. I would just, I'm just kind of shocked. I figured it would see it and only be able to access like two terabytes of it or something weird like that, like you used to have happen in Windows, but just for it to ignore that the device is theirs, interesting. So, yeah, yeah. I can't mount it. I can't access it. Again, the, it recognizes it like, like Gparted, for example, sees it's there, but I click the little drop-down box and, and select that drive and it immediately crashes. Hmm. Interesting. That's in, that's in both Ubuntu and Puppy. Same thing. So it's definitely oh. a kernel level and not a distribution thing. Yeah. I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know what to tell you, Mark. I mean, that's one of those things that I have. I, I don't. I've used two terabytes on USB, but not a not three. So I'm not. You're you're off the map for me. Yeah. And I didn't have a 64-bit Linux system on hand. It may work perfectly there. Maybe just the fact that it's a 32-bit system that I'm working with. 
Um, that would make sense, too. But, I mean, again, I should be able to break it up and let a 32-bit system see it. Should be, right? You would think. But it would be that file table, though. Even the fi- your your file table is out, out of that range. So Linux may, the, the kernel driver that picks that USB drive up may not be able to even read that file table. Yeah, but there are no files on it. I'm just trying to do a blank drive. But there's, but there's still a table. Yeah. An allocation. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I may try it. I've got some 64-bit CentOS boxes at work. I may try it on that and see what happens. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out. Well, I found a somebody who did a thing with booting Ubuntu server from a three terabyte drive, and some of the command line godfatheriness they had to do <laughs> to get it to work. I'm not afraid of the command line, um, but I'm not the gooey kid either. I'm somewhere in between. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Chris, though, is the website down? <laughs> that is one of my go-to sites for when I have a bad day at work. Um, it's just one of those sites that when you when you watch it, it's a video set set that he that these these people have set up, and it's just hilarious. It's one of those things that you, know, you sit down and you listen to it. It's like I I've known this person. Yeah. See, a few years ago, this started with a video called uh, "The Website's Down: uh, Sales Dude versus Web Guy." Yep. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And it's- so they they're making more of these now. They're making uh uh different versions of it and they've got a whole uh uh site now called the website is down.com yep so yeah episode just, one sales guy versus web dude is hilarious um and they're all pretty much the same basic idea they, they keep the same characters around so you hear the same voices and and things like that and they're still comical all the way through and every time i have a horrible day at work it's like okay I need five minutes to go listen to the websites down, so I have a laugh. Otherwise, I'm gonna lose hair. <laughs> oh yeah, that is with the one with the Excel uh, uh, image. That one was so funny. Yep. Yeah. So check out the website is down for some laughs. Uh, let's see what else do we have here in the notes. Um, bossy, Seth. You got to tell me what that's about. Yeah, um, it's the best open source software awards, and they did it for 2011. And uh, so I was just going to like go through and mention the ones that won on the desktop category, because you know if you're always looking for some open source software, uh, the one InfoWorld reported this, and uh, like Seven Zip won with Google Android, Cam Studio, Google Chrome. LibreOffice, Oracle VM VirtualBox, PDF Creator, Pigeon, PortableApps.com, TrueCrypt, and BLC were the winners in the desktop and mobile category. So, and there's, you know, they have these, they give out these awards every year, and there's a bunch of different categories, and those were the ones from the desktop and mobile category. 7-Zip is my personal favorite tool, but we don't use that where I work. Because Sean made me switch to PZIP because it's prettier. <laughs> you know, I can't really argue. It is prettier. <laughs> See, I do 7-Zip for anybody. Anytime I install something, I install 7-Zip just because it's, you know, you, you, need, a zip, you need a zip client. So, yeah. Windows, uh, 
Now, does it create them in Windows 7? It's been able to open them since XP. I think now you can create them natively in, in uh, Windows. And Linux, you've been able to create or make them from the desktop forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. it's, it's nice. But I think 7-Zip gets you a better ratio, like it's able to compress it more than just Windows can. Yeah, if you don't use the zip format, if you use the 7-Z format. Uh, so, uh, Seth, uh, GNOME 3.2 now with 50% less suckage? Um, what's uh, that about? Apparently, you know, as, as much as we bash GNOME for all of the... Uh, Ungreatness that they put in their new OS. Apparently, they've listened to us and everyone else and have put some of the features back in. I think um, we personally, I think this show uh, and our throngs of listeners is what uh, it, what was responsible for it. Yeah, we tipped the balance. They weren't going to change it until they heard from Element OP and they said, you know, if they're not happy, we better change it. So apparently, you can do more in it now. Um, and you can actually do some stuff on the desktop instead of just look at your pretty wallpaper. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I'm not ready to try it, but I think lots of people. I mean, everybody, all all the major um, desktop people recognize that the the desktop paradigm we've been using since 1995 is dying. Um, it's uh, it's going to it's going away. Um, and Windows is moving to their new Metro interface, and 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 Apple is moving to a more one-app, full-screen interface, and and KDE is doing what they're doing. It'll be interesting to see who lands on top, or if anybody will. Will there yeah. be a single metaphor? I mean, Windows five came uh, ninety-five came out and became the desktop metaphor. You have you know your start bar, you have you have files, you have folders, and and that was the desktop metaphor that everybody copied. And everybody used and everybody understood. And now we're breaking away from that. And I wonder if that'll ever happen again. Uh, or will it just be um, applications without a desktop metaphor anymore? Yeah, the the tablet interface is the new desktop, Ugh, which I just hate with a passion. But because I, person, I hate the I hate the idea for the, the touch interface for a computer. I just think that's... Um, for a power user, it's a pointless interface. But for someone who's a basic user or a, a child of any form, a touch interface is perfect for them because it's intuitive. They they they, they know what they want. They want to go touch it. Yeah, kiosk type setting it works pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Now it's yep. what's interesting is um, when we move beyond um, touch into gestures, which everybody you know seems to think ever since the Minority Report movie came out that that's the way we're going to go. But even before that, they were... Uh, anybody see that really terrible movie, Johnny Mnemonic? He had yep. the, the gloves and the and the gesture-based interface. I don't remember. And oh, everybody... Sorry. Yeah, thank you. Everybody seems oh, to think oh. they want that until they get it, you know? Uh, anybody with a Kinect uh, hooked up to their Xbox 360 who's played with it for a few minutes, or even a Wii, says, you know, I don't want to do this every day in front of my computer. Um, and I think maybe touch is going to be the same way. We think we want it until we get it. Yeah, Nathaniel, exactly actually, in his be. kindergarten class, they have smart boards. Is that what you call them, Mark? Uh-huh. And, well, uh, smart is actually I, a company, but yeah. Okay. Um, interactive whiteboard. Yeah, interactive whiteboard, thank you. They had uh, they have those, and she demonstrated a little bit in our open house. You know, the first one they did was, uh, you know, 
understanding living versus non-living. So they had, you know, a big thing that said living and non-living, and they had a whole bunch of items on the bottom, like a tree, a rock, a bird, a television, and you cl- you touched it and drug it up to the right circle. And uh, it was pretty cool. Right, and it's engaging, and kids like it, and, and it's a nice add-on. Um, but do you really think that's going to be your primary interface? Uh, I, I don't think so. It's like speech, you know. People thought speech was going to be the primary interface forever, and then you know we're still not close. But those those apps like Dragon Dictation and things like it um, that work, um, nobody does that. Even though there's apps out there that do it, the, the, a very small percentage of people do it because it's got problems. Like you yeah. know the guy in the cubicle next to you. We we have to totally rearrange our offices now if we're going to do that. Um, plus, it's you know it's it's going to be louder than even a call center. There's a new one out now called Precise, I think is the name of it, uh, that's using a whole different type of algorithm. Um, I'll say a whole different type. Apparently a, a new generation of algorithm compared to what Dragon Naturally Speaking and whatever the other one was that was out before that. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. And cause we use, some of our physicians use that, use Dragon, you know, quite a few of them. And supposedly this Precise is, I haven't actually seen the demo, but I've heard about the demo is, Incredible. Like the guy that was demonstrating this had some kind of like Lithuanian accent and he's the patient. It's like, (laughs) and it doesn't have to learn. You don't have to do the whole record, you know, 17 hours of stuff so it can figure out what, you know, what, what your list is, that kind of thing. But still, even with that, it's still going to be a, a slow adoption rate i think well and then there's the issue of you know what if the guy beside you is doing phone support and he says all right what you need what you're going to end up having to do is format the c drive and your computer says okay and formats the c drive (laughs) yeah that would be a scary thing i could see how it'd be nice it'd be you know for people that like to dictate their stuff but nine you know most people like like you said mark it's a small section of people that want to use their voice to interact with their machine. Can I tell a story that's totally off the subject, but it's very funny? Sure. We like funny. Um, I had a great boss, my first boss that gave me a, a chance on an IT job. Um, and there's a little practical joke. My coworker, Josh, and I installed a uh, uh, inner office instant message application. I don't even remember which one it was. This is seven or eight years ago. But one of the features it had was text-to-speech. So you could send them a message, and they had, if they had that turned on, it would read it. And so uh, we started it on her computer, unbeknownst to her, when she was out of the room, and minimized it to the tray. And then when she sat down at the computer, we had a black window open, like a DOS prompt window, and had something typed there. And when she closed that window, I hit enter and sent a message that said, I don't remember what it, it was, something like, you know, red code worm enabled, formatting hard drive in three, <laughs> two, one, <laughs> something like that. And when it started counting down, she's like, wait, wait. It was awesome. That's funny. Back in high school, long ago, when we were still dealing with floppy disks, like five and a quarter inch floppies, um, I had written a little program. Floppy disks that were actually floppy. Right. I had written a little program on it because we each had our own data disk. They were expensive, right? And so in our computer class, you would buy your own disk, and they were like four bucks each. So I had my data disk, quote unquote, protected. Uh, when you, it was just a batch file that when you loaded it up, it asked for a password. And if you guessed it wrong, it say, it would say, um, incorrect, uh, deleting all the files. And then it would hide the files using the attribute command. Um, 
it didn't actually delete them. I didn't want my files deleted, but a kid actually did that. He wanted to try something, like uh, do something on my disk, and he got it wrong, and he came to me just almost in tears. I erased all your stuff. I'm so sorry. And I didn't uh, let him off the hook. I, I let him think he'd really done it. But that's... <laughs> Uh, so there you go. There's two diversions that don't have anything to do with anything. Um, what well, one little bit of uh, well, before we get that far, uh, I want to point out. Uh, of course, no, none of us can see it, but uh, it, it's it's kind of a big deal because we've uh, mentioned it several times in the past. Chris is right side up now. He is no longer Batman. Woo-hoo! Um, and so that glitch that we've talked about before in the camera subsystem and in. in uh, what are you using? Uh, uh, Sousa, Chris? Uh, no, it's uh, Mint KDE. Okay. And, and so Debian um, yep. is apparently fixed in one of the kernel updates, and now his camera works, and he's right side up. So, Well, it's either one of the kernel updates, or this weekend I've been doing a lot of I did 20 hours of video editing. And so I had to install some software to do the video editing, and so I had to update, oh, what is it? KDE Live, I think it is, to the most no, the newest distribution or the newest from their website, and also the I don't even know how to pronounce the other one, the P PTV, PTV. Yeah, I think so. That's how they say um, it on the web. There's actually a, a little play button. You can hear them say it. PTV. Oh, PTV. Well, I installed, bo- I I updated both of those to the latest version that the website is, and not the ones that are on the in the repos. So it could have been either the kernel update that just came down, or it could have been updating those two particular programs to the most current version. Chris, if you have time, uh, I think it would be cool maybe in a, in a virtual environment or something to, to try to isolate those and see if you can figure out which, what, what it was that fixed it and then bring that back and let us know. Um, uh, cause I think our audience would be interested in that. Well, if, if I were to take a stab at it without actually doing the, 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 the digging through the systems, I would say it's probably the PTV update because I noticed a bunch of GStreamer updates that it installed. Okay. Um, and since the webcams use GStreamer and uh, V4, or was it Video for Linux? Right. Both of those got updated during those two particular programs being updated. And PTV comes now. If I, I think it's part of the Ubuntu repositories now. Uh, I think. But you had to check the version number right. to make sure it's the most current. So you might want to do an update if you're having that problem. Uh, try doing a, an out, uh, an away from the repository update directly from the yep. website and see if that fixes it. And they have PPAs. So it's not like you have to compile anything or do anything crazy like that. It's just as simple as installing a PPA. And then once you do that, it's, it's pretty much a, just an upgrade and then poof, it, you have the newest version. Okay. Uh, and then one little bit of news that I'm sure our uh, guests will have some comment on. Uh, kernel.org and linux.com, they're both the same entity, uh, essentially, uh, got hacked recently, a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, I don't remember the details, and I was too lazy to go look it up. But essentially, somebody downloaded something that was able to privilege escalate and jump to another machine and privilege escalate and it it jumped away uh, around to kernel.org until it got to a server and then installed some uh uh backdoor stuff there and uh so if for for those of you who don't know kernel.org is where the linux kernel comes from it's it's the source it's where linus torvald works uh works uh so 
that that is a big deal. I mean, they could have uh, um, in, injected some code. They could have done like like Aaron was talking about. I think last week the uh, the backdoor command um, that suddenly makes uh, all the machines his. That sort of thing could have happened. But of course, they took the right measures. They found it. They immediately rolled back all of the patch updates. Uh, in the uh, time frame that they uh, calculated the problem might have been, and uh, now they're going through each of those updates and manually looking at them. But as we've talked about before, looking at code is hard. Code tells yeah. you what it wants you to know. Uh, so uh, that's a it's a big deal. It doesn't mean that Linux has been hacked, but it does mean that uh, uh, the people who make Linux have been hacked and, and have to uh, uh, be a bit more careful. Yeah, because... Kernel.org just holds the, uh, it's not like where it's actually developed at. It's just like the repository. So, you know, they could, they, when it was all said and done, they probably just reloaded it from their backups. But, um, so even though the website got hacked, it probably, and from everything I've read on, I did a little bit today on it. Um, even Linus, he moved his stuff to another system for a little while, but apparently they're confident that it's secure and he put it back. Yeah, I mean, once you find those things, it's hard. To, it's easy to close the back door, and 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 I'm not going to say almost. It's always 100 percent of the time the problem ends up being uh, a human who did something wrong, be it a coder or somebody who downloaded something or somebody who gave access to somebody. Uh, so the problem is uh, maybe technical in nature, but it's almost always humans that make it happen. Um, so. Uh, they, they've got it cleaned up, but there was a period of time there, and had they not been vigilant and, and seen it and been looking at their logs, um, that could have been a much bigger deal. So, Chris, uh, talk to us a little bit about gaming in Linux. Um, I guess first, uh, what are some of the games that you like to play? And I'm going to assume that they're all Windows games. Is that correct? Uh, most of them. Um, at least for the, the ones that I play the most often. Um, I'm a big... I'm an addict to the Steam network and Valve software in general. Um, they just put out a really good game system or a game distribution network. In the whole, I, the whole idea that I can buy all my games from one place and be able to, you know, have them at my fingertips wherever I want them, just is a good thing to me. So right, I'm give us a five cent tour of who Valve is and what they do. Well, they're a game development company. And then what they do is they bundle a bunch of different games under their Steam umbrella. And, and these can range anything from first-person shooters to third-party, you know, uh, StarCraft X-type games. Um, it, it, it's just a really huge umbrella of software. And the nice thing is, is you, it's a one-place, you shop at one place, it stores everything up on the web, and then when you install your client, you have access to all your games and some of your save data as well. So obviously broadband is mandatory. Oh, yes. Uh, for getting your games. Once you're offline, though, you can take some of the games offline and work without internet for them. Obviously, some games like, say, Team Fortress 2, which I'm having lots of fun with, is a network-based game, so you need to have internet for it. But, uh, you know, say, grab my library really quick. You know, there's games like uh, Doom 3 on there. That's really fun. Um, Plants vs. Zombies, Bioshock, Borderlands. 
Um, these are all games that are up there. I'm sure everyone's heard of Portal and Portal 2. Um, these are all Valve and Valve-based games, and also or not all of them, but they're all on the Steam network, so you can download them away and have fun. Now, is there uh, a, an official Steam client for Linux? No, there is not. You do have to run it through Wine. There has been rumors of it coming to Linux, but there's been rumors for that for many years. Um, they just recently, uh, within the last, say, nine months, released a Mac version of their client. So with Mac on the books, you never know. I mean, I'm sure the Linux guys are pushing for it, but I don't see it happening anytime soon because there's so many different... Uh, you know, it's like a lot of the games don't support the Linux codes or the Linux system, so I don't see Steam coming to Linux anytime soon. But if you use the um, Wine, which we talked about before, um, you can get a lot of your games to work in Wine through Steam. Okay, so we'll assume that's the basis of what we're going to talk about today. You're primarily... Um Windows games made for Windows, and we're going to talk about how well they work in Linux. Is that a, a fair assessment? Yeah, that'll work. Um, and, and these are all the the games that I'm going to talk about. You know, some of them are going to work better than others. You know, your your mileage may vary depending on your system specs. Um, I've seen some computers where the Windows version, you know, the, a truly Windows machine works better than the than on my Linux machine just because it's native. So there's a little bit better performance there. Um, but all in all, you know, some of the games need, you know, you, they just flat out need Windows to run. So even if you do get them, you don't get to play your game, even if you do buy them, unless you want to move to Windows. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm just kind of going through my list here. See if there's anything I want to really poke out really quick. Um, I'll go over the Windows games I'm playing that work really well. Uh, let's see. There's Team Fortress 2, which is also free right now, by the way. If you download Steam, you can click Team Fortress 2 and install it. You, you can install it for free. Um, it's a great first-person shooter. On my particular laptop, which is a, um, an Asus, I don't remember the actual model number of this particular machine, but... Uh, it's got an Intel Citrino 2 with a NVIDIA chipset, um, and the game works. It's fully playable uh, on my particular laptop without a problem. Um, Left 4 Dead 1 and 2 both play really well on my laptop. Um, Left 4 Dead 2, I have to change a little bit of the graphics systems because it's too new of a game for my particular laptop. Um, the other one that I've been playing a lot of through Steam, let's see. let's see, there's a Portal, of course, uh, Spiral Knights, Torchlink, uh, and the next ones on my list to start playing would be <laughs> Assassin's Creed, Braid, uh, Fear, Fear 2, uh, there's a list of them. But yeah, they, um, most of these games, and I even the reason I even bought these games is because I was over on Wine HQ, which is the website you can go to search for these games to see if they work. Um, and they all said, "Well, these work, you know, out of the box or with a small little f things to change here and there." 
So I'm curious, Chris, I'm not a gamer. How do you mm-hmm. find out about new games that you might want to play? Uh, a lot of times I catch them on TV through the ads. Um, there's the, uh, is it, I don't know what the podcast is now. It's over on the, uh, Rev3 systems. Uh, oh, it doesn't matter. There's a I, podcast I, you like to listen to. Yeah, I can't think of it. Oh, the Totally Rad Show. There it is. The Totally Rad Show has a, you know, every couple of days they go through different games that they like. And if it's one that, you know, kind of piques my interest, I'll, I'll check and I'll check Wine HQ and see if it's supported and using wine. And if it is, then I'll, you know, download a demo or try it out. And if it's something that I like, I'll look into it further and try and get to work in Linux. If it isn't, then I'll move on to the next game. Um, there's a lot of games that are, you know, dual platform as well. Uh, for an example of that, um, I bought World of Goo, which is an awesome physics engine. Um, you build bridges with little balls of living balls of sludge, I guess you could call it. <laughs> I've played a demo uh, of it. It is very addicting. Oh, it's fun. And it's multi-platformed. Um, they have, you know, on their website, you can buy Windows, Mac, Linux versions. Um, and it's a great game. Um, I've already been through it once or twice already. And I, I, st- I keep going back for more because they have the OCD achievements where if you, there's a certain, if you ha- make it with so many ball, if you make it through with so many balls of goo, you get the OCD achievement because you, we're obviously OCD to get the achievement. And the, the, they they vary depending on ball count or time count. So you end up getting really quick at building your little towers and bridges. But that was one of those games that were kind of nice that it was, you know, multi, that they started in Windows and they moved to the multi-platform after it was requested so many times. Um, another thing to bring up is the Humble Indie Bundles. Those are game packs that are built to work on your Linux machine. Um, they also give you Windows installers for the games and Mac installers as well. So they're indie games that are fully functional in, in any environment. Um, that's where I got turned on to the that game Braid that I was talking about. Um, let's see, there's a couple other ones that I've got from the Humble Indie Bundle. And the nice thing there, again, is all of those can be plugged into your Steam, and then they track it for you. They keep all your installers up there. So it's uh, sort of like uh, like your Amazon, you know, Audio, Audible, something like that, where you've got a library, and whatever device you're on, you can you have access to them? Yep. It's exactly how that works. Okay. Uh, and it works like... And I, I, I am just a Steam nut. I, I love it. <laughs> what about games for Linux? Uh, are there, are there games made for Linux? Is that, uh, um, or are they all tend to be cross-platform games that also happen to work on Linux? Is there anything uh, that works in Linux and nowhere else that you know of? A uh, good game, I should say. Um, no, I think all of them. You know, there might be a couple that have been started in Linux, and then have made the transition to the other platforms. Um, you see, uh, like Luke, I can't, I'm not sure how to say this when it's Luke Guru HD. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, it's the, from the Wolfham Fire guys. They're doing another one called Overgrowth, which is um, full 3D 
it's a, it should be a really good game when it is released. They've been working on it for many times. Um, let me grab the website address and I'll put it in the show notes so you guys can see it. Um, but it's one of those games that it's. I purchased it through the indie bundle. Um, I played it through the demos um, on my Linux machines, and they were just it was just a fun game. So when they uh when they drop their indie bundles be sure to go out and pick them up cuz you know you may find a couple games that you didn't even think would be any fun but since you picked them up for cheap and supporting a, co- a cause you might find a couple games that are wonderful let's see i'm getting that link for the wolfham that lugera hd thing well we'll just you know find it later we'll put it in the show notes yeah. Um, nobody's going to be listening to this and scribble it down probably anyway. Yeah. Wolffire.com. But uh, there's a, a, it's just a lot of games. Um, let's see. There's also a couple that have been, that are only, I guess I do have a couple that are only Linux versions that have been made into Windows versions as well. Uh, there's one called The Mana World. It's a 2D, plat- or 2D role-playing game. Um, it's a very large world that you play in. Um, and there's a couple other ones. Let's see. That I haven't installed yet, but I do have their installers. But there again, those are, these are Windows based games that are also, that are cross platformed. So, I don't know anything off the top of my head that are only Linux strictly. Okay. There are a lot of games out there. So to, for people that say that there's no Windows, there's no good Linux, there's no you can't game in Linux, they're full of hooey. Um, well, the, um, let's talk about, I mean, are you really gaming in Linux if, if it takes wine to run? Aren't you really gaming in Windows just using Linux to do it? You are, but when they, a lot of people that I've talked to, when they complain about gaming in Linux, it's because they want to play their Windows games in general, but they don't, you know, they really don't care what platform they are, and they just want to be able to play these games. So, yes, you're, you are using your the an, an emulator to play the games, but you're still being able to play the games in Linux. So I would say it's it's still playing, it's still gaming, you know, playing these games in these in Linux. So even though you are sidestepping the whole thing, just like if you wanted to play Netflix, you have to sidestep Netflix through a virtual box in order to play that. Same basic idea. All right. All right. What other thoughts did you have about the about gaming and Linux in general? Um, you need to make sure you have a good graphics card. Um, because you're emulating, you you need to have a little more higher end of a card than probably the Windows counterpart. Just for the simple fact that you it has to transition, and you might need to have that extra frame rates. Uh, I would say Nvidia is a better card right now. Because of their support is better. Okay, so um, <coughs> excuse me. That support being kernel support or game support or wine support. All of the above. Okay. Um, I, I think Nvidia has the better support right now. AMD slash Intel or the AMD slash um, ATI cards, they're getting better. Uh, but I've seen a lot of times where the, the AMD cards just in Linux can't hold up to the NVIDIA cards. 
now that may not be the same in the Windows environment, but I know in Linux, the NVIDIA drivers are better supported than the than the AMD's counterparts. Okay. Aaron, Seth, you guys have any questions? I'm just firing off the top of my head here. No, because I play mostly simple games that are more browser-dependent than OS-dependent, so... Uh, I did, however, I found a couple of sites when I was looking for that, you know, gaming on Linux, they're basically forum sites where if you had some questions, you could go check out linuxgamingnews.org or gamingonlinux.com, which we'll put those link in the notes so you can see them. But, you know, that that's your hardcore Linux gamers who are like, you know, Hey, how does this game work and all of that kind of stuff? So, if you're if you want to play games in Linux, you know, there's a bunch of different forums out there. I found when I was looking into it. Okay, and like I was saying, like I was saying earlier too, the you know, it, there's there's a lot of games out there. Um, I didn't have a you know there were there was a list of games that do work in Windows or I mean in Linux. Um, some of them are Windows based games, and a lot of them were open source games. Um, I just didn't want to put the list in because it was like 15 pages of games, um, all varying from basic card games all the way up to full 3D first-person shooters and StarCraft clones and stuff like that. All right. And the other thing I would say to counter your to add to your your sites there is also check your distri- distributions websites. You know, like Ubuntu or, or SUS or Fedora, because I bet you a lot of people have already found fixes for games too, you know, or, or recommendations for other open source games. So that would be another place to go to look for help or ideas for what to play. Aaron, you had a comment? I was going to say that um, I was, you know, BN before Nathaniel, I played a lot of. <laughs> Nathaniel being my son, in case anybody out there doesn't know. I played a lot of uh, Medal of Honor and StarCraft, but my gaming has been greatly curtailed and mostly involves me getting him past sticky spots in Lego Batman now. (laughs) Uh, So I I wish I had more time to try some of this stuff out because I I, I actually do love the game. It's just been a function of time. And I have an Xbox 360 and a Wii and a computer, and I just... I haven't had the time in the last few years. One of my coworkers, we were doing a little meet and greet because uh, he's on our, my new team that I'm moving to, and he said, and I quote, I live to game. <laughs> I was like, must be nice. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about starting a, a, a gaming podcast on the network. Uh, I think that uh, is definitely a topic that people are passionate about. Uh, I've just been looking to find that uh, that person uh, somebody out there who is passionate and knowledgeable and can actually uh, have enough personality to host a show, and that's <laughs> that's kind of a rare combination. Sometimes uh, the uh, yeah. the hardcore geek who actually has a personality. Um, but if you know anybody out there, anybody out there listening, if you if that's you and you want to be on, I I would love to start uh, a a hardcore gamer show here on on the Element Opie Network. But uh, it's not one. It's not a subject. I'm just not a gamer. I've never been a big video gamer. Except, you know, maybe uh, when I was eight and I was playing uh, Dig Dug on my Atari 2600. Ah, oh, Dig Dug. But uh, uh, other than that, I'm just not a big gamer. And I've got um, 
uh, an Xbox 360 and a Wii, like you just said, Aaron. Uh, and my gaming does tend to be more console than PC, but it's even that is uh, it's a casual sort of thing. Like for example, on my Xbox 360, I've got the wireless controllers. I don't think I've ever replaced the batteries in them. So that's how uh, rarely I use them. Uh, the, wow. the original set of batteries is still in them. <laughs> I bought Halo 3, and I think I finished level 2, and, and I've never gone back to it. Yeah, I've got a few hmm. games that I bought and started. I bought, you know, they're, oh, this is a great deal, 10 bucks for Gears of War, you know, 2 or whatever. And it's like I played it for 45 minutes one night. That was about it. Part yeah, of it was, I've never, I never made ahead. a transition to console first-person shooter. Or console. Um, most of my console stuff has always been just more arcade type things. Um, and of course, I love playing the Wii Sports stuff with Nathaniel. And but I can't. I've yet to be able to do as well on the console as I can with the keyboard and mouse for a first-person shooter or a strategy game like StarCraft, where I can take my mouse and drag it over a bunch of characters and make a hotkey and all that kind of stuff. You just can't do that with the controller. And at, at most uh, gaming conventions or, or competitions, they break those up into two different categories for that reason. Because the yep. guy with 104 keys can kick the, the snot out of the guy with four keys any day. Which is a scary idea there. Uh, that's the other reason why I've been a computer gamer for so long is I, I just... Being constrained down to only six buttons is enough. It's driving me, it drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, when I'm playing like Team Fortress, I got five or six different buttons I'm hitting at any given time, depending on what, I want, what I'm switching to. Same thing with Left 4 Dead. Even though those games are really dumbed down, there's still a lot of button commands you can max, mix, or mix and match together to get a better performance. Uh, which is one of the reasons why, I, you know, Aaron, for you, I would suggest trying out Steam and seeing if it works in your machine because, like, Team Fortress 2 is a first-person shooter game. It's free. There is no, there, there's no entry to purchasing it. There, it's... They're one-off instances. You don't have to give him any more than 15 minutes of your time. Now, there's a a cool game I've seen advertised that looks like it might be enough to actually get me to buy a game, and that's the new Deus Ex game, which apparently is like a prequel to some other game. Um, Are you familiar with that one? Well, let me just jump in there on that one. Deus Ex happens to be my favorite all-time first-person shooter, the original one, (laughs) um, for PC. If you don't have it, Mark, go find it on eBay for five bucks. The gameplay itself is fairly horrible because it's older and it's just the guys are herky-jerky, but it is the most immersive, coolest story. Um, and I, I'm, I'm geeking out on it here talking about it, but it is absolutely the most fun I've ever had playing a first-person shooter. Gigantic, huge maps. You can go anywhere you want. It's totally the opposite of like one of the Quake games where basically you're just going down a hallway and clearing rooms and trying to get to the end of the level. This is like you're in Hong Kong, you're in New York, you go get on the helicopter, you fly back to New York, you do two or three mini missions and you discover a few things and you fly back to Hong Kong and you discover a whole new area of the city and then you fly over here and then you go. I mean, it's 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 uh, much more interactive and it's not an RPG in the sense of like um, like uh, World of Warcraft but because you're only playing this one character and it's the same one character that everybody plays. But just the way it, works and the interaction and and the storyline and the plot it was great it sounds Seen like it. Uh, uh where in the world is carmen san diego no <laughs> uh, but i mean the cool thing is it starts off and you're this what it is is you're you're um 
it's, it came out about the same, the same time as the Matrix did, and it's kind of loosely based on the character kind of looks like Neo type thing. Um, but you're this agent, and you get these like uh, uh, augmentation pods. And so as you're going along, you have to kind of, you get one for your legs. You have to choose, do I want to be able to jump high or run fast? And you make these choices. And so you can actually play it through a couple of times and, and make different choices. So one time your guy might be really strong, can jump really high and have be great hand-to-hand weapons. And the next time you might be able to run really fast and have great computer skills and be a marksman. You know, and you can just, and it ends up playing totally differently. And you also have like computer hacking skills to keep this uh, in vain of what we're discussing. And you get experience type things where you upgrade. I want to upgrade this. I want to upgrade that. So you might have four different ways to solve the same issue in the game. Like one time you might pick a crate up and put it up against the wall because you're super strong and you jump over the wall that way. The next time you might want to use your hacking skills to to break the code to get in the to get into the door. Another time you might have a remote device that you fly over the wall and go actually punch the button on the inside to let your guy in. You know, it's it's very immersive and a lot of fun and just all kinds of different things you can do like that. But the gameplay itself is kind of, you know, very 1995, but the, uh, but the, but the uh, storyline and everything is awesome. There was a sequel, which was okay. I give it a B minus. Invisible War? Really? You give it a B minus? I would say it's almost like a D minus to me. I thought it was horrible. Well, this new one is called Human Revolution. Yeah, it's on Steam. <laughs> is it? Have you, yes, have you it ever is. played the first one, Chris? Yes, I have. And it's on Steam as well. <laughs> what did you think of the first one? It was. I loved it. It was great. It was definitely one of those games that sucked you in and wouldn't let you go. Yeah, and there's like little things, like secrets you find out uh, as far as the plot as you go along. There's one point where the plot diverges, and you can actually choose to kill this one other agent or not kill this other agent, and go either direction for quite a while before it finally has to bring you back in to kind of to start going to the rest of the story. Yep, and, and your choice is dict. I mean, your, your storyline is really linear still, but it's still the 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 more you dig around, the more pieces of the puzzle you're given. Right. See, none of that appeals to me at all. I, I want to know what the story is. I don't want some computer in my ear telling me as I'm shooting bad. I just want to shoot bad guys. I just want, <laughs> I want like uh, at the carnival with the little ducks on the, on the conveyor belt. I just want to stand <laughs> right. there and shoot. And I want to be in God mode. I want to be invincible. And I just want to kill stuff. Uh, when I well, played Doom, I turned, I used the cheat codes to give myself full ammo, all the keys, and I'd be able the ability to walk through walls. Well, <laughs> this, to me, it's more like, uh, tell me if I'm if I'm around this, Chris. To some level, it's almost up, up, like down, down, left, right, left, a, right, <laughs> B A start. Yeah, it's, it's like, like being hey. a character in the movie to me. Yeah, because it it's like, like you hear, you learn this whole story. It's like watching a movie, but you're a character in the movie. Yeah, Halo was a lot like that. All all the Halo uh, games where you discover things as you go along, and and that's okay. But at some point, there's always you've killed all the bad guys, and you're just wandering through a maze looking for the one thing you haven't picked up. And once this I get to good. one of those levels, I turn the game off and walk away. This was good about not doing that. It was pretty yeah. clear what your objectives were as you discovered them. And there's one part since you probably will never play it, Mark. Obviously, since you you hate it, and you've never actually seen it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say I hate the, it. I'm I just kidding. It there's one part where you. Uh, about probably two thirds of the way through the game, where you can't get away from this Agent Smith type character, and you, you, I actually thought I was dead a couple of times, and like I loaded my game back, and then I didn't do it immediately, and realized I wasn't dead, and all of a sudden you wake up in a jail cell, and you don't have any of your weapons, and you're and you're in this room, and you don't know what to do, 
and then you hear this voice in your head because you have like a built-in radio transceiver in your head. It's like, and I think your name was JC in the game. JC, I'm going to open the gate. You have 30 seconds to get out. And all of a sudden, the, the, the jail cell opens and you run out and you're in this hallway and you have to subdue this guy by hand and, and fight your way back out of this place. It was really kind of a cool point in the plot. Well, the funny part was it was like 2 in the morning when I'm playing this. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden this computerized JC. I was like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> jumped out of my chair because <laughs> I had headphones on and the guy was talking in my head all of a sudden. Yeah, Great game. I recommend it, especially for free. Well, well, Deus Ex is on Steam for the original for $10 and then the new one is on Steam for $50. But they had sales on both of them for pre-release and it was like 35 to buy it, both of them at the, to- at the same time. Which is the other reason why I like Steam so much is they run these ridiculous sales, you know, and you can pick up five or six games for, you know, 15 bucks. So. Wow. You know, it's pretty cool, Mark. One, one of the maps um, in Deus Ex that you actually, one of the starting early maps that you do is a uh, Statue of Liberty and you get to run all around outside of it. And it's, it looks pretty cool. And uh, being on the aisle and what have you. See, maybe this this is why we need a show on the network for for guys like you to talk about your favorite games in in minute detail while I file my nails or something. Well, but the problem is, is then the second episode would be StarCraft, and then I'd be done. <laughs> <laughs> StarCraft yeah. to me is the, by far the greatest um, real time strategy game ever made by about a hundred percent. All right. So, any other uh, thoughts about gaming in Linux? We're we're getting to the point of uh, needing to wrap this thing up, um, and it looks like we're going to be going down a, a holy war path if we're not careful talking about favorite games. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, no, I think you know I was going to bring up you know the the World War II again. If you guys are casual gamers, that would be one of the first casual games I would actually t- say anybody to buy. Um, Especially since it is cross-platform, it'll play on just about anything. I even think there's a Wii version f- as well. So, 2D hmm. Boy Games, 2dboy.com. All right. So, Chris, uh, what is our command line tip of the week? Bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead. That's right. No, the command line is double exclamation point. What that does is in the command line, it repeats the last command that you did. So let's say you're in a hurry to upgrade a system or update a system, and you don't type in sudo before you do your apt-get or your whatever command you're trying to run that needs super user privileges. Well, then you can go sudo bang bang, and it'll then add sudo to the beginning of your apt-get command. And the bang Hmm. is exclamation point. And yes, I didn't know if you said that. I wasn't. I uh, yes, didn't remember. Double ex- bang bang is the same as double exclamation point. So it'd be exclamation point, exclamation point, space, and then so enter, and that'll automatically fill in the last command you did. But for, so if like I, I was just using the up arrow for that, but well, I yeah. can see how your way's faster because I've, I've got to go up arrow, tab back to the beginning of the line, and then type sudo. So your way is faster. Yep. So it's, yeah, it's double question mark, like, what, what? Like that. So bang, bang. <laughs> whoop, whoop. And it, it's, like, it's like help. Is that what it is? Double question mark. <laughs> what, what? I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll find another one for like that for help. How's that sound? Okay. So the, good. Com- the command is two exclamation points. Yes. I wonder what that's going to look like when I put it in the show notes. 
I'll be honest with you, I was looking in the show notes and I had no idea. I thought he was really excited about the command line tip, <laughs> but didn't want to tell us what it is. So he just put exclamation points. It's so exciting. It's the best command line ever. It is. It makes life so much simpler for you. What if that works in Windows? I'm going to try it. Because so many of those things do. Huh. I don't know about that. I don't know about that one. I have I have a thing in front of me. See so, you how know, dir, and then I'll do bang bang, and it is says, not recognized. Not recognized. <laughs> so that one's a Linux only command. Sorry guys, but yeah, but the up arrow, you know, like you said. It, other than having to do the alt tab thing to jump back at the beginning, yeah, up arrow is one of my favorite tricks. I use that all the time. Or F three, uh, which is works on some systems but not all of them. Okay, uh, Seth, what's our end user tip of the week? New cash. Um, I stumbled across this one a while back. It's like a an alternative to. Um, Oh, golly, what is it? QuickBooks. Um, it is developed originally for Linux, but there's also a Windows version. So, like, um, you know, you're not tied into an uh, an OS on it. But it's uh, just the first sentence off their website is, New Cash is personal and small business financial accounting software, freely licensed under the GNU GPL, and available for new Linux, BSD, Solaris, Mac, OS X, and Windows newcash.org if you cannot afford it's like i was talking to somebody um at a concert last night and they were talking about starting their own business i was like well you know if you don't have the money to go out and buy quickbooks and you're poor you have a lot of free time you know you might as well get this for free and learn it as opposed to spend the hundreds of dollars now my bank my online uh, bank system will give you Quick and exports QIF uh, files, and I see here on their website that this will import those, so uh, you can work with your bank using this. Well, cool. And you know it's Stallman approved because they called it GNU Linux instead of just Linux. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, yeah. Uh, I've used it before, and it's a it's um it didn't have the power that I needed for my home business, but it worked really well for when I was using it. And what, yeah, my what budget consists of an Excel Chris? spreadsheet, so um, it's too much for me. But what features did it lack, Chris? Um, well, for, uh, a lot of the things that it, I think it was more of a usability issue. I was get, I was really used to Peachtree at the time, and so having oh, to wow. rebuild. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. When you go from Peachtree to something else, it's like you, you have to rewire your whole brain to work. Um, and I just didn't have the time for part of it, but uh, you know, for what I was able to tell, it it worked really nice. But it was just too foreign at the time for me to actually get my head around. All right. So I ended up I ended up biting the bullet and in going the QuickBooks route because it was just simpler, and I have in-house support then for accounting. Yeah, and I'm I'm with Seth. I do my stuff in a Excel spreadsheet. Um. Which is good enough for a household budget because I'm sort of an Excel guru uh, of sorts. Um, but I used you know. to be before 2007. <laughs> well, actually, I said Excel. It started as Excel, but now it's Open Office. And I I found that the the uh, 
codes are different. The math is different. The, the, the formulas are different. And I find now that when I go back to Excel, I, I don't know as much as I used to because I've, uh, over the last seven or eight years, I've, I've been using, uh, calc exclusively. And so it, uh, I wrote this really complicated, uh, timesheet system for, for my employer where you just enter your, um, you know, the, the, when you punched in, when you punched out for lunch, and when you punch back in, and it calculates all that. Doing time calculations, by the way, days of the week, that sort of thing, sucks. It's not regular math. It's a lot harder. It sucks, it sucks really bad. Yeah. And so I did all of that, um, and then somebody tried to open it in Excel, and it puked all over them. And I said, sorry, <laughs> this is only a, an, a, a calc app, and that's just the way it is. One of the reports I had to write recently um, one of the new meaningful use, which is part of the ARRA Act thing for positions to get compensated money, blah, blah, blah. Um, you have three business days to to uh, give them somebody a copy of their clinical summary when they have an office visit with the physician. So not only did my report have to calculate whether they got it done in three days, but they got it done in three business days. So I had to exclude weekends and holidays um, on my calculation, which was fun. So yeah, I've done yeah. that. We have a, a tardy uh, system at the school where if a kid's tardy, they so many times they're assigned an ISS or whatever. And uh, that was one of those things like if they, it, it was they were given two days notice. So you had to plug in two days. But if obviously if it was on a Thursday, that second day is on a Saturday. So then you've got to build in four days to get the And yeah, it really it's hard. It's not just regular math. It's calendar math. And that's hard. Anyway, that's my second ridiculous, pointless story of the night. Anything else, guys, before we... Uh, All their timestamps in their databases are, are seconds from one one nineteen sixty. Yes, that's very common. Uh, what is that? The, the current it's, epoch is what they call that, I think. Yeah, so you, add, you take the, the whatever, the, you know, 147,342,528 and divide it by seconds and minutes and hours and add it to one one nineteen sixty to get your date time. Yeah. Totally stupid. <laughs> and, wow. and different systems have that where that different date is. Uh, yeah. Like uh, the old BIOSes used a different date. Then the Linux kernel itself uses a different date. Uh, and then the Windows system uses a different. So your BIOS might be using one. And then when you load Windows, it uses a different one. But they all count like that. It's, uh, it's just whichever the important date they pick is. It's, yeah. Just avoid that stuff. Seth, be the gooey kid. That's my advice to you. <laughs> and run. <laughs> yes. All right. And so, yeah, oh, I am the gooey kid. <laughs> so this is the part where I tell you more about Element OP Productions. I've already mentioned that uh, uh, we're looking to do another show. Uh, we've got other shows on the network. If this is the only one you ever listen to, you're missing four other great shows. Uh, go out there and check them out, um, and uh, you will find not only good shows, but good people in our forums and, and uh uh, online, you can find out uh, if you want to follow the four of us on this show on Twitter. You can do that at twitter.com/elementop, and then there's a an everyday Linux list, and you can subscribe to all of us in one shot there, and and find out when Aaron is running, and and when I'm watching Star Wars, and when Chris is 
<laughs> breaking his knee and or whatever. Uh, so uh, you can do that and get to know us a little personally. And, and also we uh, encourage you uh, to comment to us, feedback with us. Let us know what's going on. The forums is always a good place to do that. Or if you just want to send us an email, you can do that at EDL for Everyday Linux at elementop.com. We all get a copy of that message. So uh, you can send some things there. And then uh, had some feedback recently. Uh, I love it when this happens. Somebody obviously had just discovered the show and then was going back and listening to previous episodes because I'd get an uh, an email like every hour uh, about a different show going backwards. <laughs> and so uh, this new listener had some some ideas and uh, actually wanted to be on the show. And so we're we're probably gonna uh, get in contact with uh, with him and make that happen. So we love it when people do that when people contact us and let us know we're doing a good job. Uh, we love it a little less when you tell us how bad a job we're doing, but we still run understand that sometimes that message needs to get through too. So contact us. Uh, and we will uh, put you on the air if you request it. You can even come on and be on the show if you want. And uh, and uh, now, which, which show were they contacting you about? Tower Tech about this one about Everyday Linux. Oh, oh wow, awesome! Huh. Yeah, well, I'm gonna share. I'll share real quick, and I'll share this again on Wednesday. I'm sure Mark as, um, on my my main podcast um, that I host. But uh, those that may not know on Everyday Linux, that I host a uh, fitness and uh, health and fitness podcast called One Meal One Workout. Also part of the Element Open Network, one of the podcasts that Mark was referring to. And my friend Joshua and, and I are kind of running buddies. We've done several races together, and he went to pick our numbers up for the race that we did this morning. And while he was there, he said, "Can I go ahead and pick up my friend, my my running buddy's uh, number also? You know, bib number that you wear when you run." And they said, "Yeah." And he said, "What's his name?" And he said, "Aaron Butler." And they said, "Oh, the guy that does that podcast." Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. He seems really nice. I've never met him. <laughs> I was like, You're yes, famous. that's awesome. So um, I have yet to be spotted on the, on the street, uh, but yeah. maybe someday it'll happen. Well, the guy that it helped, I think that the, the, the guy that was directing the race has been one of our guests. Right. So I'm sure, you know, the word got out from him that some of the, you know, some of the, some of his friends and followers, as far as his organization and things, he's that did probably picked up the podcast at that point. I don't know, you know, I don't know what, what, how many of them stuck around after his episode, but obviously at least one did. So that was cool. I still talk to people at least once a week who don't know what the word podcast means. So we really are oh, yeah. at, uh, in a nascent medium, and uh, and I'm looking forward to the growth of that. Definitely. Well, she actually That's- referred to it as. He does that radio show. <laughs> Josh said, you mean the podcast? Yeah, the podcast. That's right. We're an internet radio show. That's the way I, I, I don't like to say we're a podcast. Uh, but, yeah, we're an internet radio show, and, and I like that. And maybe someday we'll be an internet TV show. Um, <laughs> but I'm not in any hurry to do that. Well, we need to, once we get about 40 or 50 podcasts in the Element Open Network, um, or maybe 100, then we can do like Lifetime Channel and those and and uh, Discovery Channel, where they have, you know, they just have the same content that plays 24 hours. So 24 hours a day, somebody can get on the Element OP network and literally, you know, like turn on the radio and listen to whatever it is that's live streaming and, ha- and have enough content that it wouldn't be repeating very often. Yeah. That, that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> In stereo. Yes. All right, folks. Well, this is the point, point where we say goodbye. So... Uh, unless anybody has anything else to say, I will say this concludes this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.